I'm your host, Joel Lessies, and I'm here with my dear friend. I want to welcome my dude uh, here today and just see how's it going. Fine. Thank you for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to do this. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. But uh, today, I think we were we were we 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 had been talking about the themes of like dreams. Yeah, it's something that's been yeah that's been up for me for the past year yeah. or so. Yeah. What about it? Uh, it's interesting, you know, my professional background is as a psychiatrist, and then I was working um, understanding dreams, and early in my career I did more psychotherapy, and, and there were some, I remember working with some people on dreams, but it was never a really major part of the practice that evolved for me over time. But I knew the basics, and I'm a firm believer that the unconscious drives a lot of what we feel, do, think. But what happened is when I became a spiritual guide, and that's through the the Sufi tradition, I had a couple of really committed students, they're called murids in our tradition, mm -hmm. who just kept having dream after dream after dream. Mm -hmm. And so they would ask me and we would talk about them. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually I started to catch on how pivotal it was. And they would ask me more and more about, it's kind of like how can they interpret their own dreams. And uh, when it started to happen to more than one person, I just started to get more interested from a spiritual perspective. So my training as a psychiatrist, I was pretty comfortable with what it might mean psychologically. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that applies to someone's spiritual lives, but mm -hmm. there, is, there is a difference. That's what I, I got really curious about. Um, so, uh, if you want a reference, my favorite book was yeah. by Llewellyn Von Lee. Okay. And uh, it's called Catching the Thread. To me, it pulled it together. Llewellyn Von Lee, who I, I've never met, but I love his books. He puts out about a book a year. This one was about his integration of his dream work, and he's a Jungian analyst. Mm -hmm. And he put them in, together in a way that is really understandable. So when I get confused about some of Jung's work, I actually go to Catching the Thread because he has the best explanation of some of Jung's pivotal ideas that are applicable to dream work. Like, I don't know if we're going to talk about it later, but the shadow and the anima and the animus. Sure. And then he puts a, a Sufi spiritual twist on it. Mm -hmm. That really helped me. And, um, you know, so he, anchor, he anchors the Jungian animus, anima, projection, hook, shadow, and he takes that, that objective, stripped-down, unlabeled truth that Jung calls one thing, animus, anima, whatever, and puts it in Sufi language so that you can right. frame it from a larger Sufi right. perspective. Okay. Mm. So that was like, that really inspired me. And then I did, I did research in the teachings of Anaya Khan, and he has a body of teachings on dreams, but they're not all together in one place. So you have to have access to a lot of what he lectured about. And so I did a search and I'm pulling it together. And like I told you, I'm doing a retreat in Boulder and hopefully in other places. Um, and that's my tradition. So I, I really looked at his teachings. 
I did a lot of reading in Carl Jung, but I got to admit, uh, a lot of times it's easier to read secondary sources. Sure, that's often the case. Right. Yeah. There's a, the head of the uh, what we call an es- the esoteric school of the Inaity Order is Nigel Hamilton, and he's out of the UK. And he wrote a book a couple of years ago called Awakening Through Dreams. Mm. I think it's easier when you know the Sufi lingo. And you know, we talk about planes of consciousness and different things that are accessed. But the value of that is he really emphasized what I was beginning to find in my guidance work with the students that I was talking about. What is that? What what did you find? Is that the, he calls it the psycho-spiritual transformation process. And it's, this is all integrated. We're holistic beings. And very often... There, there is the entree to what's happening spiritually is through the psychology. Also, it's reciprocal. What's happening spiritually has an effect on someone's psychology. This is my theory with it. So, If you look at Freud, which is kind of where I started as a psychiatrist, he had his theory that he, what he emphasizes the unconscious really drives a lot of what we do. Mm-hmm. And by definition, it's unconscious, so we're not aware. You can start getting a clue by looking at your accidental behaviors, mm-hmm. looking at symptoms you have that are giving you issues during your life. And in his day, he called them neuro- neuroses. Mm-hmm. It's a manifestation of the unconscious that comes out in, in a disguised way. So he was big at saying... There's a compromise. Mm -hmm. There's a partial expression of an unconscious desire that your ego, your consciousness, does not want to admit or Mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. So you relieve some of the pressure by having a partial expression, but you keep your cool, or if you're asleep, you stay asleep because uh, it's disguised. Mm -hmm. And it's disguised enough that if you're asleep, you don't wake up. Or if you're awake you don't realize that you're expressing something because it's disguised. Now, interestingly enough, like slips of the tongue, mm-hmm. somebody else will pick it up. Right. They'll see what you're doing. Yep. But to you, what are you talking about? I, I didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so his theory, what, he really got stuck on dreams are wish fulfillments that are described. Jung took it a step further right. and said, now, dreams are talking in a language that is a language. You have to learn the language. It's not just disguised because your ego doesn't want to admit or you don't want to wake up. The unconscious has the language. So to me, and it was really interesting to think of it this way, you have to learn French, Mm -hmm. you have to learn German, you have to learn English, you have to learn dream talk. Mm. And it isn't just the expression of a wish. So Jung said, and I really like this, Freud was thinking from, what is it in the past that is pushing you for something to be expressed? Right. Jung said, what is it in the future that's pulling you? Mm. You know, there was an icon who founded our order, and then one, one of the successors was his son, Vlayad an icon. Uh-huh. He has a phrase that I really love. What's that? That the pull of the future is greater than the push of the past. Think about this in one terms of what I just said. That's what Jung was picking up. Mm-hmm. It's not always true because sometimes we are right. we are mired in the past until we can get to that place. But 
generally in our human condition, right. human beings are the pull of the future, right. hopefully. Is so Pierre this is a little bit of a tangent, but he wrote a book on spirituality and counseling. And he had an interesting thought. He said, a lot of times when you work in a, what we call mental health now, so you're in psychotherapy, not always, so don't get me wrong, but people feel like they're, they're going around in circles. Okay, they get mired in something. And he says, right, that's the problem because sometimes you need that pull from the future. Now, he's talking about the higher self, the divine in us. Sufis would say the spirit of guidance, okay? There's something, uh, if you put it in computer language, you have to go up a level. You have to pull it up that can pull you out of the circle that you're in to the next step. Uh, so again, this is another little tangent. There are things you have to deal with. Right. And a lot of spiritual people and groups, they're so interested that they convince themselves that they have to act a certain spiritual way, that they don't do what they have to do in this, in this everyday life to mm -hmm. grapple with something. So the intention is great, but it is, it is dicey. It's a dance. Everywhere. People, I mean, in a Jewish mysticism, we talk about something. We talk about, well... In the ways that God has created this world, why is it this way, right? And so the, the rabbis laid out three possible scenarios. What are the three scenarios? They're this. They're well. He could have he could have had like pure light, no struggle, God everywhere. The opposite of that is he could have had pure chaos, pure evil. How would we ever find him? So he took the two and he blended them into the middle. And this is this is what we see that our free will is the choice between dark and light between suffering and joy or contentment. And that, that freedom of choice is because God created this place with our, and our curiosity to explore, like, what are we and where do we want to go? Like, if we delve in this way, are we this or do we go back the other way? And it's, it's, a, it's a confounding place, but, like, the deeper you go, the clearer we get. And I think that this is what you're reaching and, and, and leading us to talk about in dreams both from the Sufi perspective and with, um, with uh, Jung. Right. So the power of dreams is it gives you a glimpse of something that you don't usually see when you're awake. And it's, it's not necessarily evil stuff. So right. Freud, right. you know, it was big into the id and these wishes that you want, you, that are too unacceptable for whatever reason. Sex and death, right? Mostly, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jung was saying that there's something else. Right? It's pulling you. Right. The spirit. So what I began to discover, the other part I want to get back to for a second is if you, again, for, for me, it was Freud, Jung, the mystics. Mm -hmm. And with Freud could only go so far. Yeah. Jung took it, and as far as I'm concerned, Jung is a mystic. Mm -hmm. And he talked about the transcendent self, the self yeah. that's pulling you. Yeah. But he insisted, and he, when he talked about the collective unconscious mm -hmm. and um, the archetypal dreams. Yeah. That there are symbols in our dreams when you're at that level, the archetypal level. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have any experience of the symbols in your personal unconscious. Mm -hmm. They're just drawn. They're in there yeah. in the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have access to that, and we, we don't even know they're coming out. Mm -hmm. But he forced himself, because he insisted he had to be a scientist, he forced himself to stop at a point. Uh -huh. The mystics, and Nyakon being one, and that's the person that I'm really learning 
from in the Ivy. Yeah. They're willing to take, they're not afraid, they're willing to take the next step. What is that next step as far as you understand it? That there's more to it than just psychology. Yeah. So if you look at an icon's conception, categorization of dream-like experiences, he talks about dreams and he talks about visions. The visions are a little bit different. Now, I don't have as much experience with visions as I do with dreams. But uh, to, make, to try to simplify it the way I understand it is, many of the dreams have to do with, like Jung talks about, working out personal or archetypal humanity existential issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. At some point, the dreams uh, stop being symbolic. And what you experience is an actual connection with experiences or beings. Um, but the symbolism, it's actually accurate. So when people say, uh, I, I dreamt of my mother in my dream. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's probably a symbol, if you're a man, of your anima. Uh -huh. That the mother figure inside of you. At some point, you really could be touching um, the vibration, the, the being of your mother. Right. It's not a symbol anymore. So this, this leads us to an amazing place, right? Uh -huh. At what level is meaning ever stop here? Like, even in this conversation, like, is there, is there a limit to it? Or is there no limit to it? Or is I, there, you know what I mean? Like, but it's true of everything. Like, everything that's been created, everything that's here, everything has an indefinite meaning. Right. And I think that our psychology is a filter that prevents us from understanding and experiencing that. That's the advantage, I think, with the mystics. So as, you, as you're talking, you can see, it's one of the reasons that most mystical paths insist that it's a good idea to have a spiritual guide, because mm -hmm. it gets confusing. You know, my respect for my conception, because I've never met them, of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung mm -hmm. increased dramatically with my research in this mm. because they did it on their own mm -hmm. with their own dreams and I'm really starting I mean I get goosebumps as I'm saying this mm -hmm. oh my god the stuff that came up that they had to sit with and alone, know, with alone, no framework with yeah. no framework yeah. most people can't do that mm. so you know you can imagine somebody with uh, less training has a dream and they insist it's a vision. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, probably not. Mm -hmm. It's a symbol. You have to look at the interpretation of it. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, even somebody like Carl Jung, I think, your psychology, your context, I have to stop. It, it, I can't talk about this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So to me, the freedom that comes with being on a spiritual path mm -hmm. And, and working with people spiritually is, I don't have to stop. Right. I, you know, it is what it is. Right. And yeah, you have to decide if you believe in these concepts, and I still affirm believe in an icon set. Or these experiences, clearly. even more of these experiences. I think that the body is a truth compass, so that like a psychology, mm -hmm. the psychology of us is an aspect which does filter and allows us to negotiate things from a perspective, a certain perspective. Even our body is like much more, it's, it's a tuning fork and it's a truth compass of like what feels right and what doesn't. And don't you think that's evolving? 
I, that's that's why we're having this conversation right, right now, for sure. Yeah. Everything that, evolves. You know, there's a quote. There's a quote by um, from the Talmud that says, uh, "Israel asked God, Lo, what about the evil drive, the evil inclination? You know, what do we do about it?" And uh, in the Talmud, it says that God said in response, "And I'll put it out of you by its roots in the world to come." So, meaning, and what is the evil inclination? It's what Jung and Freud are talking about. Is the unconscious and is our psychology like really we are mastered by our psychology when really our spirit should be mastering our psychology? Like we said, Freud was really interested in sex and, and anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mystics, but even Jung, said there's something else in there. So uh, Jung talks about the transcendent self. Mm-hmm. Like we said, the, the mystics will talk about the Buddha nature or the spirit of guidance, yep. depending on what tradition you're in. Yep. It's just unconscious. There are things that we're not aware of. We can't see, right. but it's there, and there are things that are there are elements, but it's like, yeah, it's a thicker kind of darker water that we don't fully understand. Right. What I started to catch on to in the guidance work, kind of like when I was working with dreams as a psychiatrist, is there's an unconscious part of us and a conscious part of us. Because a lot of people do conceptualize it that way. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure it's clear. Not everything in the unconscious is evil, yeah. but it's unconscious. Right. What, what, the, what working with dreams gives access to yes. is the unconscious. Right. So Jung was very clear about this. He said, you, you do have to be careful. When you start to pick up what's in the unconscious... Uh-huh. That doesn't mean you should do it. And so the one caveat is, just because your dreams seem to be indicating something, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you should get up and follow it. True. Give it no more weight than what you're thinking, realizing consciously. Right. The secret is, and you hit, you, you hit it when you talked about the Talmud reading, except for the word evil, is you have to... Put the two together and hold it. Mm-hmm. There's something about the left and the right, the unconscious and the conscious, that they start to come together. Right. The mystics will say this is a transcendent experience. Mm-hmm. Jung will say you start to pick up the big self, the transcendent self. Mm-hmm. It, it's a matter of integration. It's not a matter of choice. Well, so this right? is... That is true. Yeah, that is so true. And really, you know, there are a couple things, but like one one of the uh, mystical teachings of Judaism is also to liken the emotions, which are tied to the unconscious, right? I mean, the energies of the emotions come from the unconscious, of an unconscious. And the conscious uh, psychology of like rational thought, it is the parent and child. I think I may have spoken about this with you before, but like, the rational mind, rational thought, and our psychology is the parent or the emotions, the child, which always discerning uh, short, mid, and long term, is this decision that I'm making constructive for my short, mid, and long term? If it's not, then examine why. And governing how we feel with the parent, with the psychology, the rational thought. And yet, there are times which the emotions will teach the mind to wonder beyond time in a non-linear way, like to express itself in just pure like, wow, look at that, right? Like a child. And so I think that this is a very amazing kind of like paradigm 
The other thing is, is that in Judaism they say sleep is one sixtieth of death. So that what opens in the uh, what opens in sleep is exactly also what we are talking about. Okay. So the 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 other part with this, the uh, since I, you know, the references that I mentioned don't talk about Jung's other work, which is synchronicity. Yeah. And so what started to happen when I was guiding people, <clears throat> I started to realize synchronous events. So actually, my experience with that was personal. I was involved for a while um, in learning about uh, nature and tracking and the philosophy behind that. And that, that, that it, kind of shamanistic. So there was a very mystical element. So part of the teaching, picking up clues in your environment that are meaningful. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quite think of it as a synchronicity. There were two experiences, and experience with two synchronicities, but it really made an impact. It came after a, for lack of a better word, a retreat I had done on, mm -hmm. in, in nature with this kind of work, this shamanistic work. The most important thing is, you get, it's like a snapshot. You get the coincidence, and boom, there's a meaning to it. Mm -hmm. You have to feel the meaning. The meaning is the important thing, right? right? Mm -hmm. So when the meaning came, it was like a bolt. Yeah. Oh my God, look at this. Your body right? is a truth compass, exact, right. exacting or extracting right. the lesson. Yeah. So Jung taught, and this gets a little interesting, and actually the reference I like the best uh -huh. is a, a physicist. Uh, he's deceased now, Victor Mansfield, who wrote a great book, uh, Science, Synchronicity, and Soul Making. And he incorporates uh, advanced Buddhist teaching, Jungian concepts mm -hmm. on synchronicity, and he puts the and nuclear and quantum physics. Yeah. And he puts them together in a pretty understandable way. The physics and some of the Buddhist stuff gets a little tough, but the first section is is really it just hits you in the face, and it's great. So he he said Jung. Uh, uh, von Franz, one of Jung's colleagues that he trained, had said, if you, if you start thinking that your unconscious caused the synchronicity, you're close to superstition, which is really interesting, because there are other books on synchronicity That's that a fascinating say, insight, that actually. say exactly that. I think what they were trying to be careful is to say, you start thinking that you're causing everything. Um, what what Mansfield did is he used quantum physics yeah. and what we're learning about entanglement. Oh. And what he said that Jung means and what he agreed with is that uh, there are things embedded in the universe that are just, that come through. Mm -hmm. They will come through any way the universe gives it an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So there's a coincidence and it comes through. It wasn't caused by you or your thoughts. It was a happenstance occurrence. And that's what Mansfield and Jung defined as a causal. Mm -hmm. There's no cause right. to this. Right. It happens because the circumstances happen to be right. Mm -hmm. And then you happen to pick it up. So it's convoluted enough that I have That's a why you say the mystics are an evolution of Jung. Yes. Right. Jung could only go so far. Right with that a causality because he's saying that there's limit in meaning and mystics say there is no limit in meaning correct yeah the myth the mystics wouldn't be afraid to say 
everything is meaningful. Right. The divine wants the message to come through. Matheson says, mm-hmm. uh, what is Zen? There is no Zen. What is the scripture of Zen? There is no scripture of Zen. It's just this moment. And this moment can be considered the scripture of Zen. Yeah, and that's what, that's what got me really curious because what, uh, not in the books I was reading, uh, maybe a little bit of Jung, but Jung kind of separated out synchronicities. Mm-hmm. But what I realized in the people that were trusting me to work with them, yeah. it wasn't just the dream and it wasn't just the conscious spiritual guidance. Mm-hmm. In there, came these synchronicities that we started to pick up. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's all part of the same thing. As you start to open or change, Mm -hmm. you're not causing the synchronicity, but you're opening to the universe and we're entangled and the universe shoots something through because you've allowed it to. Now the Sufis say... You've allowed your understanding that synchronicities are ever-present and endless and ever-present. It, you're, you're right. So in the, this is my understanding of it's not an accident that you're a human being. Mm-hmm. You're not a human being because there was a mistake. Right. You got caught in duality. Da, 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 da. You got caught on the wheel of life. Right. No. You're a human being because that is the most advanced level of consciousness that manifests and you were lucky enough or had enough impetus from the source and again these are just concepts that you actually made it all the way through Uh so remember we talked about integration Uh, my teacher said this and I really love it he said look it if you're going to be all good you should have stayed an angel and if you're going to be all bad, you should have been a devil. Mm-hmm. A human being gets to put the two together. Oh, yeah. And the nice thing is, you don't have to worry about bad stuff happening because it happens automatically. You don't have to look for it. Mm-hmm. So don't go out and try to suffer. Mm-hmm. It's just going to freaking happen to you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the human being gets to put the two together. Mm-hmm. That's what the power is. So, you know, to me, as I'm talking, I'm hearing the the synchronicity with the teachings about the unconscious and the conscious Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. The human being gets to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Human being gets to change the evolution of consciousness. Mm -hmm. That vibration keeps working after you die physically. So in the Sushi conception, Mm -hmm. that you lose your physical stuff, but your mind stuff, your soul stuff continues. Okay, these are just concepts, but that's the no, idea. No, that, that's right. true. I mean, that's why, that's why when a, a messenger or a prophet comes, the message remains Correct. after they are gone. The vibration after they're physically gone yeah. continues, and some people can still feel that. Right. And that vibration has a life to it. So the prophet is still doing his or her thing. You and I, after we, in this concept, right? Yep. We're still doing our thing after we die. But to me, the teaching underneath that is the source has to change. Now, the source can be so big that your vibration, when it goes back, adds or subtracts or changes it in a way that is so infinite, 
infinitesimal mm -hmm. that if some other great being were to look at it, they wouldn't notice the difference. I don't buy it. Uh -huh. I think, it, to me, the power we have, being privileged to be a human being, mm -hmm. is we have a significant impact on the evolution of whatever that source is. So there are clues to that. I don't think that, to me, there's no debate mm -hmm. and there's no quarrel with mystics and religious teachings. Evolution is a fact. That doesn't mean that there is some divine something or that there's random accidents. The, mm -hmm. the dance that happens is the intent with the accidents, with the, you can't predict where it's going to go. And that's the way it is. But you can't say there's no evolution. That's number one. The human body and mind and even our social relationships have evolved and are still evolving over time. That in our everyday experiences and even in the history that we know about, we are, we have and we are evolving and changing. That we're changing the planet. Good or bad, we are experiencing more of a planetary consciousness than we have ever had in recorded history. So it, that's the evolution that we like to see happening. Right. We Hopefully. also are getting a Hopefully taste we get there. <laughs> you got it. But that's how powerful we are. Yeah. You know, it isn't like, at least, there isn't like a divine puppet who's going to make it happen a good way or a bad way. Right. It's just going to evolve. Yeah. And that's part of the secret of the divine is it changes. It, that's and true. it doesn't have the same kind of value judgment that we have as human beings. Well, it values it just, life, but it lets, lets us choose. Well, you know, I, this one, I don't think I can put into words. I can't understand it. I think we, I, you know, no matter, I have a, my limited view yeah. as a human being and yeah. as a psychiatrist, yeah. and I don't get it. Yeah. The closest I can come is yeah. energy is energy. Yeah. I mean, when a nuclear bomb goes off, yeah. we put a value judgment on it. We create our conception of God. Mm -hmm. The suggestion is make God loving, oh. make God compassionate, make God um, a fair, right? Yeah. It is our responsibility I, I am, to conceptualize God. We are God. micro of the macro, but it's not macro. Why? <laughs> because it is the power of the human being to imagine and create something that will manifest. So it's another way of saying, and again, you have to be careful with this. No, I understand what you're saying. We are all I mean, powerful, but we're right. not. But we're God not. gave us the ability to see God in whatever way we want. There's a message in that. You remember we talked about dream language? Mm -hmm. The scriptures are a language. Mm -hmm. You have to learn it. Right. And there are degrees of learning. So you can be fluent in it, uh -huh. like you can be fluent in French. Right. You can be... I barely can talk it, but I kind of get it. Right. And you can be totally dense and think it's gibberish. Sure. Same thing, or trying to look at all the scriptures. When you look at the scripture, how arrogant to think you don't have to learn the language of the scripture. Well, Everything well. has a language. I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm sorry. I try to talk in plain English so people can understand. There's a language sure. that I am sharing with them. Right. It's like, well, it is. Yeah. There are exceptions. People can be like um, Richard Samuel Lewis. We talked about him. Uh -huh. He's in a, connected to an icon, but not, not one of the teachers 
I mean, he's deceased, but he wasn't one of the major teachers in the United Order. But he was a major influence for me, yeah. not on the physical plane, because he died before I got into all of this. He was quoting scripture when he was a preschooler. Mm -hmm. He was born with something. Mm -hmm. yeah, but he's, the, you know, I'm sorry, he's the exception. Right. So, same with dreams. Right. Same with synchronicity. Right. There's a language in them that, with guidance, you can learn at different levels of experience, understanding. Yep. What, what excited me is when I realized in guiding people that we were working on conscious and unconscious, mm -hmm. and the universe was intervening in synchronicities, and then I could see the direction everything was going. The other thing that happened was everything speeded up. People who had been struggling when they started to look at dreams and synchronicities, mm -hmm. and it clicked for them, because not all people dream, Rem everybody dreams, but they can't remember dreams. Right. Some people, they just never get the language, yeah. or that's just not their thing, so that's okay. For the people where it clicked, oh my goodness, the stuff that started happening, mm -hmm. the changes in their life that mm -hmm. started to happen, mm -hmm. And then the, the, I don't know how much time we have left, the, the other part is, remember I mentioned uh, the work by Nigel Hamilton uh, that, that I'd kind of found out even before I read his book, I was beginning to pick it up. So there was a, there was a you know, we're holistic beings. As you work on, especially in the Sufi tradition, as you work on your personality, your mm -hmm. psychology, mm -hmm. that is a clue to what's going on with your spiritual self. Right. Just like the spiritual self is a clue to what might be going on psychologically. Mm -hmm. So I realized the, the famous uh, hermetic phrase, as above, so below. Right. When you look about when you read about it, I googled it, and you read about it, it's like there's a reciprocal relationship. But they never say the reciprocal. The reciprocal is, as below, so above. Right. So, I mean, to me, there's two things with that. One is, there's a mirroring. Mm -hmm. So the way the universe is constructed, yes. we're mirroring that in a microcosm. In the physical, spiritual, right. in the physical. And the way we're acting in our everyday life yeah. is a clue to how the universe is working. Okay, so that's the reciprocal. So we mirror each other. It's also, the mirroring is when you work on your psychological issues that's mirrored above. Mm -hmm. What you do with your psychology is going to be mirrored, mirrored in the divine mm -hmm. and in your relationship with the divine. It's that reciprocal influence. Yeah. So we're not just mirror, it's kind of like, if you just think of it as a mirror, as a static mirror, mm -hmm. it's as if, oh yeah, we're, we're relating and so there's a relationship in the universe with me. It's the process that, that whatever we start working on here, is reflected in the way the universe is going to start changing. Now, for sure, uh -huh. it worked. This is easier for me. It changes the way we understand the universe. Mm -hmm. The concepts evolve. Mm -hmm. Got it. I think the second easiest thing is it changes the way I relate to what I think of as the power in the universe. So call it what you will God, Allah, the void, Rukh. Second easiest. Uh -huh. The hardest one is that we reciprocally change each other. So that what I change here mm -hmm. actually is changing the way 
the universe is going to eventually evolve. They say that mitzvot are eternal because they ascend to God and actually what you're saying, I, I have a hard time in language uh, standing by the statement that God is changed by it, but I think that we are, we, we are meant to be transformed by it and that brings pleasure to God, which may change him or may not. I don't know yeah, that That last part is really tough. Yeah. And that's not the intention. Well, it, but that'll be corrected real quick or maybe not, but it'll be corrected. I mean, we are, we are meant to be humble in the face of creation in no other way. Right. And I mean, I think that one of the things that I want to say also, dude, is that when you're talking about the interface of like um, working on psychology, changing the spiritual in the physical, that interface, when I quell and quiet my mind, then I see the magic and the wonder of things because my mind is not self preoccupied. It is not working on my own little problems. I get quiet. And in that quietness is a humility, which is the true power of existence. Right. And that's where the magic begins, the wonder begins. And that's when our emotions as a child can teach the rational, oh, it doesn't always have to be that you have to parent. Sometimes you can just step back and just be in wonder, you know? So let's let me, I want to talk about one last part that you're just bringing up. It's the um, relationship between spiritual practice and uh, dreams. Yeah. So if you just look at it biologically, Mm -hmm. um, we know about uh, sleep stages, alpha waves, uh, theta, delta, and now there's more work on gamma waves, which was actually nuts such a big deal back when I was in med school. Um, and part of what we know is that each of those uh, brain waves yeah. seem to have a certain effect. Alpha waves are relaxing. Beta waves, which is usually, usually predominate in our everyday life, right. are really reflective of a lot of, a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. The gamma waves, they're beginning to find when you have a waking aha experience, there's, there's a lot of gamma wave activity. Mm. All of these waves occur in REM sleep. Mm. Uh, and they're a mix of all of them. Wow. And so one of the questions that's coming up is when you have these insights in your dreaming state, can you correlate that with gamma wave activity? I don't know the answer to that, but the suggestion is that that's a possibility. Uh, when they've looked at Buddhist meditators, well, I don't mm-hmm. know if they were Buddhist, but deep meditators, mm-hmm. more gamma wave activity when they're in deep meditation. Mm-hmm. And as you know, as a meditator, part of what sometimes happens in meditation is you have that sense of, I get it, and then it's gone. But you have that sense, it might be a felt sense, it might be a thought, it doesn't always happen, is there's a correlation. Mm-hmm. You can train yourself. Mm-hmm. So you know that as a meditator, the work they've done in imaging and just with EEGs, right. that your meditative experience mm-hmm. is reflected in which parts of your brain are functioning right. and what brain waves are predominating. What I think we're beginning to find is that just, just doesn't happen when you're awake. Right. You're also training your brain to have access to those, mm-hmm. and it may be happening when you're falling asleep. Sure. So you're and training yourself. My favorite word again, yep. if you remember, <clears throat> that your experiences in your sleep 
can affect as you integrate it, right? Right, right? Affect how you start to act, feel, work when you're awake. Mm-hmm. How you train yourself when you're awake mm-hmm. affects your ability to sleep and dream and what happens during those. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't right. think it's so, I think it's a, it's a, a state of beingness that leaves, I mean, in a sense, isn't this all just a dream? So, I mean, forgive me, but that's right. not, that's not, that's yeah. not a, a word, that's an experience of what we are in the human body. Eventually what you get to is there's such an integration. Yeah. Right. You're always connected to God. Mm-hmm. That's another way of saying what you just said. You, as you start to, what we would call spiritual unfoldment and being more aware of everything and more integrated not just as a person, but with everything around us, including the divine. The potential way we can do this is by accessing dreams, Mm -hmm. visions, Mm -hmm. synchronicities, spiritual practice when Mm -hmm. you're awake, doing your psychological stuff on the level it has to be done, but also realizing all of this is integrated. Mental health professional point of the spear that's saying, look at there's yeah. more than just ordinary right. consciousness. Yeah. These things have an effect. But my appreciation for what uh, we can do as mystics, mm-hmm. what we can do to help each other as mystics, th- there are still there are different kinds of boundaries, but there isn't this one. Right. So as a guide, I'm committed not to to work primarily on somebody's psychology, or especially if they have uh, again, speaking traditionally, a, a diagnosed uh, mental health or physical issue. Right. That isn't it. But as a spiritual guide, you look at everything, including what's that experience like at that physical or psychological level. Right. Right. Go to a therapist. Yeah. I'm sorry. Everybody has a body. Everybody has a psychology. It's like you're not going to how can you not be aware of that? Right. So when somebody has a spiritual experience, as you're talking about, right. you find out where in their body they felt it, if they did. Mm-hmm. Is that a clue? If they have a physical or psychological issue, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not treating your depression as a spiritual guide, but as you're doing your spiritual practice, right. <clears throat> you're looking at your dreams from a spiritual perspective. Right. If you wind up telling me, my depression's changing, Mm -hmm. I'm supposed what am I supposed to do just Mm -hmm. say at the same time I'm not going to tell somebody who's suffering with a big time depression spiritual let me talk tell your dreams to me and we're going to fix that that's not so it's that kind of boundary Mm -hmm. but what I'm so impressed with and that's why when we started we talked I talked about for me learning about Freud Jung and the mystics Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I, to me, I caught it that the pioneers pushed and pushed and pushed. Right. And their particular being and the time in which they lived. The corpus of their work. Yeah. yeah, may have put a boundary on it, but these were amazing pioneers. Right, right, right. And the same with the mystics. Yeah. For an icon to be able to come from India to, to the West in the early 1900s and download the kind of teachings he downloaded in the culture that existed in the West at the time, 
it, it was like, it, it's just, it's one of the, that kind of effacement, mm -hmm. that kind of realization that I'm just bringing something in, but I'm not going to laugh. The, the, uh, what Carl Rogers added to the field of psychotherapy yeah. is so undervalued in yeah. America at this point. How come? But it's, um, well, he started... What, what, is, in, what, what does Rogers say? He, he says there are basic elements in a successful therapeutic ex psychotherapeutic experience, really in, a, in a, any sort of relationship, right? But it started with psychotherapy because that's what his training. And it's empathy, which everybody talks about. Unconditional regard, which everybody talks about. It's the last one. It's genuineness, right? You have to be real, right? And what he found with good research that still stands up, right? Right. He was the first to demonstrate that psychotherapy can be make a difference compared to waiting lists and conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay, amazing work. And he said it's those three elements. Roger stuck to it, and he had the research to support it. It's a it's the quality, it's those three qualities that you demonstrate in a human relationship, provide relief. And then he extended it in the later part of his life to groups, to schools, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't just a therapy relationship. Right. If you look at, when I looked at, when I reviewed his work, and I'm at the end of the book, and I was already into Sufism at the time, and I said to myself, oh my God, he's a mystic. Mm -hmm. he, he's that, he, he just, you can, he, I could taste it. Mm -hmm. Did he say that? No. Mm -hmm. Right? So there's a, there's a journal out called Sufi that yeah. comes out, I, can't, you know, I think it's four times a year, but it might be twice a year. And it's not an Anaity Order publication, but it's really great. And the last issue is on spirituality and, and consciousness and quantum the universe, that kind of stuff. And there's an article on Carl Rogers is a mystic. Oh, oh, oh. And, it's, and he's mystic. more popular in the UK. And it's, you know, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but the title got me and it's kind of like, some of these pioneers mm -hmm. just, they just couldn't, you know, to hell with the boundaries. I mean, I think they actually got caught. Like Jung just couldn't go that last step. But for us, right. or maybe for me as a psychiatrist, I look at that now as a Sufi spiritual guide. The, uh, talk about evolution. Yeah. And seeing how if you just you keep going yeah. and you keep following your nose and you stay open to the truth, which you brought up several times, mm -hmm. it, it all starts going in the same direction. Yeah. So what are we going to do about God? Yeah, I mean, you can't not say something right. because look at where this led us, right? right? right. Yeah. Amazing pioneers. Yeah. And then the mystics, you know, we, we know about Buddha and we know about uh, the prophets that come in. Uh, but there are pioneers, uh, the Dalai Lama, mm -hmm. you know, in our tradition, the peers that came in are Anaya mm -hmm. Khan or Nakshbandi, yeah. who developed, those people who developed a body of work that were allowing us to keep on evolving yep. and seeing things and, and, and letting it come through.